Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. After the long pause imposed by the pandemic, 2022 should have been the year when cinema was back with a bang. Instead, it's been more of a whimper with a summer full of lackluster films. Moonfall is mostly just a disaster. I avoid Marvel movies these days, but my curiosity got the best of me, and I was like, how bad could this really be? This is one of the worst movies of the year. The 355 is frustratingly uninspired. Doctor Strange is now the latest addition to that ever-growing pile of garbage. If you look at the listings for your local cinema, chances are nearly every screening will be for a prequel, a sequel, or a remake of an old film. So why is it harder now for original ideas to break through? I was at a Disney meeting once and they called all these disparate comic book fans who ran comic book websites and they, they were showing them a film but before they showed them the film they had this sort of crazy consultation with all the fans and it was you know, what do you really want and all the comic book people were so popular they said you know we feel ignored you know we want movies about our heroes and it was like being given a window into a, a very strange and sinister cult that eventually took over and got the whole planet to, to join the cult of comic book movies. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, has Hollywood run out of ideas? My name is Kevin Marr, and I am in the lucky position of being the chief film critic for The Times. That is a hell of a gig. I do love it, but I, I suffer from my art. You know, I sit through a lot of stuff that most people when, on a Friday or Sunday night say, uh, let's go to the movies. Most people look through a list and go, I'm definitely not going to that. I'm not going to that. I'm not going to that. And poor little old me has has gone to that and that and that. But it's it's a joy for the things that you suddenly find that you knew nothing about and the films that just, you know, subvert your expectations and are amazing. And it still happens to me on a weekly basis. While there are still some great movies being made, the industry as a whole is in trouble. Cineworld recently announced it's in bankruptcy crisis talks after their shares tumbled by 60%. The world's second largest cinema chain now has debts of around $5 billion, which it says are partly down to poor ticket sales. 
So why aren't people being tempted by the cinema? And what's on now if you were to go? Right now, we are in high summer season. Traditionally, this is blockbuster season. So if you go to the multiplex, you are going to be faced with a lot of what they call in the movie business intellectual property, IP, brands that you've heard of, story brands that you've heard of, superhero brands that you've heard of. Like, there's another Marvel movie, Thor Love and Thunder. Thor set off on a new journey. Well, he got in shape. He went from dead bod to god bod. This Top Gun Maverick. You know, a sequel to an 80s classic. Even the original films have a sense of overfamiliarity about them. There's Elvis. Let's don't let a good thing die. You know, if you're going to go to Elvis, you know what you're getting. You know, this, the low-level kids film, Minions, The Rise of Gru, that's a sequel. My minions will save me. Ah! You like picking on little guys, huh? I am a master of Kung Fu. Ah. DC League of Super Pets, that's uh, that's an adaptation of a comic book. Superman appears in it and Batman does as well. Yeah, there's an original film out there, Bullet Train. Hi, there's a gun on it's the quiet car. Can't use your small inside voice in here, son. There's a gun. But Bullet Train is directed by the director of uh, John Wick, and it feels like a John Wick movie. I will say, praise the Lord, there's one original film, which is Nope, Jordan Peele's Nope. What if I told you that today you'll leave here different? It's a film that's so ridiculously original that you don't even know, is it it a a sci-fi? Is it a horror? Bro, what'd you see? Something above the clouds. That's big. How big? Big. At every step along the way, it seems preposterous and silly, and yet it works. So for me, anyway, <laughs> has to see every film every week. I just go to Nope. There's, there's no other choice. I'd go to the film that's the most original. And is this summer worse than usual? Does it just feel like that? I think what, where we are now, we're in a really interesting time. We're in the tail... I, I, I was going to call it the death spiral, but that's too hopeful. <laughs> the tail end of the Marvel and the superhero uh, you know, resurgence that began in, in 2008 with Iron Man and then sort of spiraled into the Avengers phenomenon. Then it became the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Then you had the DC Universe, you know, Justice League, Batman, Superman, all that sort of stuff. Um, and it feels, it feels as if we're treading water, that these huge, huge movies aren't quite sure of where to go. And the recent Marvel movies have been verging between low level to terrible. Doctor Strange, Eternals, Thor, obviously Thor, Love and Thunder isn't that great. And the DC movies are completely in crisis. They don't know what they're doing, whether they're going to be serious or uh, jokey like the Suicide Squads. Harley Quinn, nice to meet you. Love your perfume. What is that, the scent of death? There's definitely a question mark over how long we can go to the cinema to watch you know, pumped up people in spandex do the exact same thing repeatedly. What have been the worst sequels and rehashes that you've seen recently? Oh my God, uh, where to start? I really disliked passionately Ghostbusters Afterlife. It felt like this desperate reverse engineering where you take the the key elements that made the original interesting and popular and beloved and you drop them into a film that has nothing else around it but just references, just callbacks to the original. I found this in my living room. Oh, killer replica. A replica of what? A ghost trap? 
it's kind of interesting that if you look at the sort of top 10 movies of the 1980s, there were Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, Empire Strikes Back and Ghostbusters. And, you know, we've had Ghostbusters Afterlife. There's another Indiana Jones coming. And Star Wars is just beating itself into complete irrelevance with the amount of different versions and brand properties that it's pumping out in the cinemas and on uh, Disney+. And so there's a sense of saturation and it's, it's a huge issue. And, and if I was sitting in the pub with you, I'd bore you stupid because so much of it is to do with platforms and streaming. Streaming is the X factor that's been dropped into all this, into a pattern that already exists for self-cannibalization. That's what Hollywood does. It takes itself and it just repeats itself, repeats itself. And then you drop the emergence of multiple platforms into that that are craving content. And you've just got an absolute nightmare recipe for stretching a very thin storyline out into nothing. And how have we got there? You know, how have we ended up in a situation where it's all about the branding, it's all about the franchise? Okay, so uh, pour yourself a big <laughs> drink. <laughs> Lie back, because this is going to take some time. No. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I will. I will do this as quickly as possible. The studio system disappeared in the in the '60s. We had this brief heyday in the '60s, where you had original filmmakers influenced by the French New Wave. Cette fois, c'est le moment d'ouvrir une deuxième parenthèse. Influenced by this movement around the world, you know, the, the 1960s counterculture, yada, yada, yada. And there was this sort of brief flowering of independent cinema, and everybody loved it. And it was Sam Beck and Pod, it was Bonnie and Clyde, and blah, blah, blah. And, and it was, you know, John Luc uh, Godard in France, and it was just this Edenic period. So then you, you have these creative filmmaking geniuses in the 70s who were inspired by that, but they also have a commercial eye. You know, they, they, they love the old Hollywood idea of the business of show, and, and you know, pack them in the rafters. And so people like Spielberg and Lucas come along and Coppola and they make The Godfather, they make Jaws, they make Star Wars and they make these huge movies that actually make even more money than the studio system did. And the movies become the studio, the movies become the thing. Star Wars becomes more important than 20th Century Fox. You know, The Godfather becomes more important than Paramount. They, they become these huge objects that everybody from that moment on want to replicate. They want to replicate a huge blockbusting film that goes around the world, possibly a little light on dialogue so it'll play in all different countries and non-English language speaking places, full of spectacle. Four quadrants of the audience, young, old, male, female, will all go to this film and adore it. And so that becomes the thing that everybody's chasing. That was the late 70s and the 1980s. You get the blockbusters like Ghostbusters, Raiders, you know, Empire Strikes Back. Top Gun is in the 80s as well, so they've perfected the model. Then in the 90s, you know, they start, it's like in the 90s, they're kind of running out of ideas. They start looking backwards. You know, Jurassic Park is basically Spielberg remake making Jaws. Terminator 2 comes along and that's kind of remaking the, the first Terminator. Then in 1999, they make The Phantom Menace. They're doing a reboot for the first time. They're going back to the start of the series. And there's a strange moment in the 90s where they're looking back and they're like, ah, there's a bit of anxiety. Like, ah, we've got no ideas. Quick, let's go back and let's remake them. And and by the time you get to 2008, which is a, a devastating year in the history of creative movie making, Iron Man is made. No one's allowed to talk, is that it? You can't talk? No, you intimidate them. Good God, you're a woman. <laughs> and when they're shooting Iron Man, this is famous story. I, I've interviewed the, the head of Marvel, Kevin Feige, about three times, and he always tells the story where they're making Iron Man and he's having lunch with Samuel L. Jackson's agent. And Samuel L. Jackson's agent says, oh, you know, Sam looks just like, uh, you know, that, the crazy character from the Marvel movies, Nick Fury. I used to know everything. Then I come back five years later and now I know nothing. No intel no team, and a high school kid is dodging my calls. 
Kevin's like, oh, that's a crazy idea. And he says, you know, why don't we not just do an Iron Man movie, have all the different characters from the Marvel world all fighting together and running up against a big supervillain. And that idea births the idea of the Marvel Cinematic Universe interrelating movies, interpenetrating storylines. That's 2008. That's weirdly coterminous or synonymous with, with this sort of branding obsession that began in the 90s. And the movies became not just about storytelling, but how they interrelated to each other and how they would nod and wink to each other and wink to the audience. And what we're in at the moment is not quite the tail end, but certainly a crisis point in that, that idea that all, you know, all the brands are related, all the stories are related, and it's just this huge sort of supermarketing experience. This is the great book called Movie Wars by Jonathan Rosenbaum. And, and he says, as the years have gone on since Star Wars, what Hollywood has perfected and, and the true genius of this mainstream movie making system that the planet is enthralled to is marketing. They've become better and better and better at marketing and disseminating product. I, I'm a huge fan of the first section of Marvel movies. I think they did an incredible job of keeping that whole Avengers storyline going to Avengers Infinity War, Avengers Endgame. But it also felt like a natural conclusion to something. It was like, phew, okay, guys, pat on the back. You've done really well. Now can we move on? And we haven't moved on. And we've creatively, we've kind of hit a certain sort of quagmire, which is why I should say that when, when a really original film comes on, like everything, everywhere, all at once, the audiences go completely bananas for it. What's happening? your husband. I'm another version of him from another universe. I'm here because we need your help. Very busy today. Uh, no time to help you. It's possibly not the greatest film of the year, but it's original. And the industry isn't seeing that, and it isn't seeing that clearly people are leaping on anything even vaguely original. No, the industry doesn't care about that because, you know, a Marvel movie will cost $200 million, and with the right marketing and the right push, uh, they'll get it into every cinema on the planet. Robert Downey Jr. will go on press tours all over the world, and it'll make close to a billion dollars back, and that, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter that you know, wow. most, a lot of critics might be snooty about it. It'll shift a load of Hulk costumes for kids everywhere and I suppose that's that's really the bottom line it, it is a business there's also another huge argument talk about shooting myself in the foot there's another huge argument which says that these superhero movies are really important and they're really important because they fund Hollywood every major studio has a specialty division that makes Oscar-worthy low low budget films so the same people who make turgid, repetitive superhero movies also fund Nomadland mm. that Chloe Zhao made. My mom said that you're homeless. Is that true? No, I'm not homeless. I'm just houseless. Not the same thing, right? No. Nomadland is a Disney movie. Is it? Well, it's Disney fine. It's Disney distributed. So Chloe Zhao makes this really interesting, edgy and sort of really critical movie about the state of American, modern American life and how it's reduced all these people to poverty and their driver is depressing. It's just angry and bitter and it just doesn't like what's happening in America. And it's made by, you know, it's, it's backed by Disney who can do so because everyone in the world is going to Iron Man and Thor and, you know, films with guys, you know, with American flags basically tattooed to their spandex while they beat up foreigners. So it's it's fascinating. But so that argument is just that it's, you know, that uh, money talks and without the money that these huge blockbusters make, you wouldn't have specialty divisions being able to finance small Oscar-worthy indies. 
It also, the blockbusters fund all the orchestras. The symphony orchestras wouldn't be around without blockbuster movies because they pay uh, to keep them around once a year. So they come into studios and they do incredible soundtracks. If you took out the blockbuster movies, uh, there'd be a lot of unemployed classical musicians, especially over here, the London Symphony Orchestra. I don't know it exists without, you know, blockbuster movies. Coming up, has the age of blockbusters killed off ordinary, lower-budget, good films? And if you want to find something that isn't just another superhero movie, where should you look? That's coming up after a quick word from a colleague. Hello, I'm Jane Mulkerens, Associate Editor of The Times magazine. By listening in, you make it possible for me to bring you exclusive stories that you won't get anywhere else. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Kevin, it does sound like the reward system for the industry, whether it's major profits or it's awards, now means that it's kind of splitting where you're either just going to have quite bland superhero franchises or just very edgy movies that might be contenders for awards. Is is there anything sort of in the middle for people who just want something with a little bit of soul? (laughs) Oh, like Goodwill Hunting, he said. <laughs> you know what? I want to. I want to answer positively and just say, no, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. You, you can see that film for grown-ups. So, so there's two hundred million dollar budgets for Marvel movies, or there's one million dollar budgets for interesting horror films like Hereditary. And where there used to be ten to forty million dollar budgets for grown-up movies for adults like Goodwill Hunting, where there's this area in the middle where 
whoever, you know, let's let's call it Hollywood, would say, okay, we've got the kids in with the blockbusters, we've made some interesting horror movies, but there was also time for the prestige, like Kramer versus Kramer, Dr. Zhivago, films that were aimed at grown-ups. Yeah, hi, Ted Kramer. Listen, I got to get those photos from the retoucher by tomorrow morning, okay? I'm leaving you. Honey, please, I, I, I can't hear. What? Okay, you too. Thanks a lot. See you tomorrow. You guys eat? Ted, I'm leaving you. Ted. And they didn't have to worry about getting all four quadrants in to see it. And that area of production has completely died. I speak to producers working at Hollywood. They say there's just there is no money for grown-up stories that don't have a car chase or don't have someone with magical powers. But then there's been amazing films this year. A gorgeous Iranian film called Hit the Road. And that was one of the best films of the year. <laughs> And it's made by a really interesting filmmaker. I know people are reluctant. Oh, it's got subtitles. I don't see that. But, you know, cinema is ridiculously vibrant and alive. I go, I go to Cannes, Venice, Berlin, and these festivals blow my mind. And the quality hasn't dipped. And there's just, just incredible movies being made. So the only thing is they probably won't have Meryl Streep in them. And it also sometimes feels like when you do get an interesting film come along, there are five of them at the same time and they're all about the same thing. Why is that? So actually I spoke to, you know, the guy, Art Linson who produced, uh, I think he produced The Untouchables and he was saying Hollywood is just incredibly incestuous and what happens is you know, everybody everybody knows everybody else. Everyone knows what everyone else is working on. There's no, there's no secrecy. And so a hot script goes around like he did in like 1992. And they said, oh, look, there's a Christopher Columbus movie. And Paramount says, well, we want our own Christopher Columbus movie. And suddenly there's two Christopher Columbus movies coming out. You know, the 13 film, you know, the Ron Howard film about the Thai cave disaster. Hey, Rick, you following what's happening in Thailand? Some kids stuck in a cave. We're on the list of rescue divers. It's just a tourist cave. It looks easy, but when it's flooded, it's impassable. So that would-be disaster happens. And as it's happening, the families are represented by a lawyer and the lawyer is then contacted by a, a studio, a Hollywood studio. This is while it's happening. This is before the boys have been rescued from the cave. Yeah, so the family have appointed a lawyer to deal with the mass amount of media questions. And you end up with the documentary makers being allowed to make the film, but only having access to the British divers. And they can only talk tangentially about the boys. And then you have Ron Howard, who comes along, and he's allowed to have access to the story rights of the British divers and access to the story rights of the boys, but only as a vague sort of amorphous group of boys. And he's not allowed any specific biographical details of the boys. And then you have Netflix, who've swooped in and bought the rights to the boys' stories. So they have they can do a series based on the boys in the run-up to and during the disaster. And so the cave disaster is the hot idea. And everybody says, I want to do one. No, I want to do one. And people swoop in and you end up with three different versions of the same thing. When originality in, in whatever form it takes comes along, there's a feeding frenzy. You've described this slightly depressing picture of how the industry is now sort of di almost divided into, you've got the, the, the major franchises, the big blockbusters, not terribly exciting content-wise, but reliable. And then you've sort of got the edgier films. As a financial model, is this working for the industry? 
It's, it's a really difficult question to answer. The economics have become totally murky because of streaming. If you asked me the question four years ago, it would be very easy to answer because you just look at the end of year box office receipts and say, oh, wow, you know, uh, it's usually the top 10 films. It used to be they'd make about 13 billion globally. The pattern up till about four years ago has just been the top 10 blockbusters make 80 to 90% of the revenue that is out there. I think what's happened now is with streaming platforms, the figures and the numbers are so secretive. You know, Netflix uh, last year, actually in 2021, Netflix spent $17 billion on content. And so they'll put their films into, into cinemas, but they'll only put them in for two weeks. So you can see what they make in two weeks. And then poof, they go onto the streaming service and nobody knows anything. Is there a sign that that superhero blockbuster Marvel style style movie is on the way out. Well, there's a there's a sign because all the Marvel movies since Avengers Endgame have been to various degrees low level, uninteresting. Eternals was awful. Doctor Strange wasn't that interesting. Black Widow was okay, but it was really a spy movie, not a superhero movie. The DC movies as well, the, you know, the, uh, Justice League had loads of trouble, had to be sort of re-edited and re-released in a different cut. I think as well, you know, without getting too highfalutin, you have to see in the cultural context too of um, social media and the internet and superhero movies like 2008. It's this really interesting sort of parallel to the, the arrival of social media and this idea that everybody's a celebrity. Everyone's suddenly, everyone's a superhero. Yeah. And, I, and I wonder, is that souring? And there's definitely a parallel. I mean, it's really interesting because it does feel like We've started to see that in action a bit recently. I mean, just talk us through what happened with Batgirl, for example. Unfortunately, it's just a really boring accounting story. There was a management shift at Warner Brothers. The movie had, had cost over $100 million and the test screenings they had with it weren't very successful. People thought it was awful. And they were they were working in the shadow of multiple Oscar-winning Joker and mm. the sort of serious brooding The Batman. There's a rule that if no single member of the public, of the paying public, I should say, sees your movie, then you can claim it as a tax write-off. So that's what they did. A bunch of accountants came in and said, oh my God, we can save $100 million off. I think they were given some remit by the, the new boss of Warners to, to shave something ridiculous like two or three billion off their output. And the first thing they attacked was Batgirl. Then they did that. And then about two or three days later, everyone on social media went nuts and said, oh my God, it's the culture wars. They hate, they hate women and they hate women superheroes. When in fact, some of the most successful superhero movies recently have been directed by women. The two Wonder Womans made over a billion dollars and Patty Jenkins directed them. Kathy Yen directed Birds of Prey, the Harley Quinn film. So it's just not true that there's some weird resistance to women and women superhero movies. It's because the biggest resistance of all in Hollywood is to losing money. You did say earlier that, you know, you, you do still have confidence in the industry. And if you know where to look, you can still find some great films. As the Times chief film critic, tell us, tell the rest of us, where should we be looking? Well, it feels like I'm about to do some horrible you know, brand plugging, and it's not. But Curzon <laughs> Cinemas do such good films. And also, they're not snobby. Curzon Cinemas show Top Gun Maverick. And I like that about them. My pet hate is meeting someone who'll corner me and go, oh, you're a chief film critic. And they'll just, a bit like what I've done now, they just totally lay into Hollywood and say, oh, God, I'm so sick. I, did you see that new Iranian film? Did you see that new French film? Did you see that? Oh, Hollywood makes me sick. And that's not the way it works. Hollywood's been around for a hundred something years for a reason. It's not just because they're great at making money. It's that there's also incredible talents out there who make stunning movies every year. And some of them, some of the stunning movies are occasionally superhero movies too. So my pet peeve is people who are in 
tolerant to any type of cinema because all mm. cinema can be you know masterful and touching and moving and amazing. So I like Curzon for that reason because they're not snobs. And what do you think the audience is now? What do you think they really want? Is it something they're familiar with or, or are they looking for novelty? I, I think what we all, you know, everybody just wants a certain amount of authenticity and connection. And that's what happens in story, you know, the once upon a timeness of how we live our life. They also want spectacle and escapism. And so there's a lovely sliding scale of how much spectacle do you want versus the truth and the story. I think there's, a, there's an argument to say that as life becomes tougher and time has become harder, Maybe there's a hankering for more spectacle than than just you know, truthful connection. That's maybe why the, the Marvel movies have been doing so well. When, I, when I'm critical of a Marvel movie in, in the Times, there's always the same people, you know, underneath the review who write the same thing. Just like, you know, shut up, <laughs> shut up, you idiot. I just want to go and turn my brain off. I don't need an idiot like you telling me it's not good. You know, I just, I just want to watch an explosion. I want to watch a big camp man in tights, you know, punch another big camp man and tights and I'm comfortable with that and they're just it's interesting that there's, there's a guttural desire out there to switch your brain off and just see the spectacle but I think those same people you know also must have got something from Joker or something from the more sort of eccentric spectacle movies too so going back to the original thing there's a great book by Derek Thompson called The Hitmakers and he says everything is a balance between uh, and fancy words coming up neophilic and neophobic neo meaning new and so it's it's a love of the new and a fear of the new mm. and every movie you see has this dance between the neophilic and the neophobic. So it's like familiarity. Oh, yeah, I've seen that before with, oh, I haven't seen that before. Yeah, I mean, what for you is a, is a good blockbuster? Are there some that you absolutely love? The Matrix. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? That you are a slave, Neo. That came out in 1999, in a decade when the blockbusters were showing this kind of anxiety and looking backwards. I remember seeing it at a press screening and just being so mesmerized with its originality. Mm. And uh, what, we're, what we're talking about, this idea of familiarity with originality, that, that for me is the perfect balance. It's more originality than familiarity, but it's very familiar because it's, you know, it's like the Jesus myth, the Moses myth. It's like a superhero myth, you know, this, this normal nerdy bloke who turns out to be the second coming. So that's a very comfortable story and, and that relaxes audiences. But... Rooted in all that was just the insane originality, also the references to all different types of cinema, just and the ideas and Baudrillard, what is real, what is filmmaking, what is not, and there was just so much meat on the bone in that film that I, I felt completely thrilled. And yet, flash forward to 2020, was it Christmas 21, and you get the Matrix Resurrections. How dramatic, Tiffany! <laughs> it was a private joke, an amusement. That's all. An amusement. Mm. And it is awful and turgid and dead. And there's something instructive in that, and that just leave it alone. And so every time I sit in front of a blockbuster, I hope I'm going to get the Matrix experience. A lot of the time I get Matrix resurrections, but uh, I live in hope that Neo will rise again, metaphorically speaking. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, 
The Times' chief film critic, Kevin Marr. You can find all of Kevin's reviews at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription. The producer was Olivia Case. The executive producers today were Kate Ford and James Shield. And sound design was by John Scott. Thanks for listening. See you again soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.